Well, good morning, everyone. We're glad that you are here worshiping with us this morning. Want to take a quick second just to say hey to all the folks over in Urbana. We love you guys, and hopefully you guys are having a great Sunday over there as well as one church in two locations. As Daniel said, today's a great day because we are kicking off a brand new series called Long Story Short. And the whole foundation, the whole premise of this series is that the story of Scripture has transformative power. It's a power that we want everyone to know. It's a power that fuels us forward as a church. It's a power that that we believe that Jesus has given to every single one of us through his spirit. Now, now, now the phrase, uh, long story short, perhaps that's a phrase that you've used or, or you've heard used before. It, it always reminds me of, of that, that weird uncle who's always at Thanksgiving telling those really weird stories where you're kind of just like, all right, is this ever going to have a point? And then he kind of says, well, long story short. And you're like, yes, he's wrapping it up. This is great. And so we're using that phrase as a way to to recall something that happened. Usually somebody says, well, long story short, is their way of recalling a memory or something that has happened that had significance. And so this series is is centered on this. It's it's centered on the Bible. And now I know what you're kind of thinking. You're saying, well, Eric, isn't this a church and shouldn't every series be centered on the Bible? Well, absolutely. But but each series is a little bit different. Sometimes we, we tackle just a part of the Bible. Maybe it's a particular book or genre. Maybe it's a topic that we're saying, look, as we look through all out scripture, we see this, this idea uh, handled in many different ways. But this series, our hope is to say, what do we do with this thing? Because look at this book. It's, it's thick, right? It's, it's dense. It's got lots of weird names and places. It's got things that happened thousands upon thousands of years ago, some wacky, weird stories. Like, what are we supposed to do with this? Because if, if you're like me, that sometimes we, we kind of look at this book and we get a little intimidated, don't we? Don't we kind of take a step back? Anyone else can agree that it's really hard to understand the Bible sometimes? There's a lot that happens and a lot that goes into it. And so the the premise of this series is that if this has power, if this has meaning, is there a way for us to find a central theme, a unifying portion of it that brings it all together? You see, what we want to show you through this series is that the Bible is intentional, that it's purposeful, that it wasn't just somebody said, well, I like this story and I like this that happened, so let's write about it and throw it together and poof, you just have this book that just all of a sudden shows up all over the place. But rather, there are these tiny pieces, there are these stories, these these smaller books, these letters, these epistles, all these prophets, it all comes together, but it's for one single reason and one single purpose. You ever thought about stories, though? Like, stories are kind of just everywhere we go. And they kind of just surround us. Maybe, maybe you're binge-watching a new show on Netflix, and the reason you're kind of leaning into that show is because there's something about that, that story of that show that you resonate, right? Maybe, maybe you're, you, you got a new album, and there's something about the songs that's really speaking to you. It's moving you. The, the story of the, behind the music kind of gets you to lean in. See, in our lives, there's, there's a powerful notion of stories that go beyond than just telling you facts. Let me give you an example. Uh, if, if you were ever talking to me up close, which, you know, maybe you want to do, maybe you don't. It's your prerogative. But I have this uh, small little scar on my forehead. And you might ask, well, Eric, how did you get that scar? And there's kind of two ways that I can go about this. I can at first say, well, when I was a kid, I slipped and cracked my head open. Some of you would be like, okay, cool, TMI, that's all I needed to know. But some of you are like, well, tell me the story. So I might tell, well, you know how moms, they kind of have those things that they just say all the time? 
Don't run when your feet are wet because you're going to slip and crack your head open. Whatever, mom, like that could ever really happen. We were vacationing in uh, San Diego one time. I, was, I grew up in Southern California. We were vacationing at the beach, and we just come back from the beach, so we did the only thing that we could think of, just go to the pool, just switch from one body of water to another body of water. And my mom and dad said, hey, kids, do you guys want to go get ice cream? And I'm like, heck, yes, I do. I love ice cream. Let's, let's do it. Let's get ice cream. And so I hop out of the pool, and we say, okay, let's go up to the room. Well, let's get changed and clean up, and we're going to take you to get ice cream. And I'm thinking, yes, mint and chip, don't judge me. It's my favorite ice cream, okay? And uh, so we start running. My mom says, hey, don't run with your feet wet. And I said, mom, don't worry about this. I get that. And, and our hotel, it's, it's on the second floor, these external stairs. And about halfway up the stairs, running as fast as I can, I take a step. I slip, I fall in midair, slow motion, bust my head wide open, had to get stitches, still got ice cream, so it's all good. Long story short, don't run with your feet wet. (laughs) There's something about a story that causes us to lean in. It's so much more powerful than just telling you facts. You see, a story does more than just convey information. It creates action within us. It creates action within us because we begin to lean in. We can relate. We can say, I've been there before. I get that. Oh, that moves me. So if somebody held up this and they asked you, well, what is the Bible? What would you say? Some of us might say, well, it's just got a bunch of these like really wacky stories that I learned as a kid. I know there was a whale at some point, and there was a giant and a slingshot, and I know there, there was this wall, and these people marched around, and it fell down. I know, it's just, this thing has got all these stories that I learned as a kid at, at Sunday school. Some people might just say, I'm pretty sure it's just full of a bunch of lists of do this, don't do this, and depending on how well you do one side or the other, you're going to get judged either way. Somebody might say, I don't know, it's really old. It was written thousands of years ago. I'm not even sure if it's true. The one thing I do know, does it even apply to my life? Somebody asked you, well, what is the Bible? What would you say? Somebody came to me and said, well, Eric, what do you say that the Bible is? I would say this. I'd say that the Bible, it's a story that points me to know, love, and follow Jesus. And so as as we venture out on this series, we want to lay a foundation of what our church believes about what the Bible is. Number one is that the Bible is a book about Jesus. That we're going to show you that that ultimately the, the purpose of the Bible isn't just to give you lists and tell you what to do, what not to do. Rather, its its purpose, its intention is to point you to Jesus Christ, the Son of God who lived, bled, died, and rose again as your Lord and Savior. Number two is that the Bible is a unified story, not a patchwork quilt. It's not that people just grabbed a bunch of different things that happened and put it together and say, hey, look, we've got this cool-looking blanket. In fact, everything was purposeful. Everything was intentional. Everything was by God's design and God's instruction for it to end up as a collection. We believe that the Bible is God-breathed and authoritative, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, uh, the, the, the epistle tells us that, that all of Scripture is inherited by God. It is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God, meaning that the Scripture has authority. It has power. It is complete. It is inerrant. And number four, though, is that throughout the Bible storyline, we come to know Jesus in all of his glory. 
Both parts of the Bible, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, help us to know, to understand and what it means to follow Jesus. Think about what Jesus taught. He's looking at the crowd and he says that all authority under heaven has been given unto me, he says. He doesn't say all authority has been given to some pieces of paper. He doesn't say all authority has been given to a book that was written. He says all authority has been given unto, and he says, me. Now Jesus goes on to say that the prophets in the Old Testament carries weight and it carries value and it's important. But the purpose of the Bible, it holds authority because of Jesus. That we hold to the authority of Scripture because we believe in the authority of Jesus. The Apostle John, he put it this way in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, but these things are written that you may believe in what? That Jesus is the Messiah. Not that you may believe in a book, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the point of the Bible, it's not just to teach you some stories. It's not just to give you some list of do this, don't do this. It's not just to give you something to do as a good little Christian boy or girl to earn gold stars on your refrigerator in heaven. But every story, every name, every book, every command, every call to action has an intentionality and it has a purpose to point us to Jesus. And so throughout this series, we're going to use the phrase story a little bit. And here's what we need you to understand. When we call and say that scripture, the Bible, is a story, what we're saying is that it is literally a story. And we're going to unpack this this morning. What we don't mean is that it's not like a fairy tale. We're not saying that the Bible is a fairy tale that somebody made up or that it's embellished or that it's not completely accurate or true. In fact, we're saying the opposite. But we're also going to help show you that the Bible is intentionally laid out in the form of a story, just like your favorite book, your favorite movie, your favorite TV show. Let me, let me give you an example, because you might be thinking, well, Eric, isn't there a bunch of like smaller stories that, that find its way into the Bible? So how, did, how can you say that it's actually just one story? So let me give you an example. Um, you may be familiar, there's a, uh, a uh, I don't know if it's called a sequel, there's, there's these collection of books called the Harry Potters. Anybody familiar with the Harry Potter? You might have heard the name, might be familiar. Now before we move forward, we're saying, let me just preface this, we're not taking a stance on Harry Potter or anything, we're just using this collection of works as an example. Now, if you know anything about Harry Potter, there are seven books in the Harry Potter series, eight movies, so whichever, why that happened, who knows, but that's the way that it kind of fell through. Now, each book in the Harry Potter series is its own complete story, isn't it? That Harry, he goes to school, he defeats evil, and then they live happily ever after, only to do it the next year, and the next year, and the next year, right? It just kind of goes over and over again, but if you read one book, and at the very end of that book, or the end of that movie, you would say, man, that was a complete story. But the whole Harry Potter series has an overarching theme. It has an overarching plot that develops. That there is this, this, this humanization of evil by the name of Vol he who shall not be named, that, that terrorizes the, the entire wizarding world. And so Harry has been given this specific power and this specific gift to take out this guy and take him down. But over the course of the seven books, eight movies, he finally has the ability to do it. That's the overarching theme, the overarching point of Harry Potter. And so what if our scripture... The storyline of the Bible has a similar notion. 
That every book, every page that turns, every story, every name, everything that happens actually fuels a bigger narrative, a bigger story. And what if that story has power? Because it's all about Jesus. You see, what was written holds power because of what happened. That the reason that this book has the ability to transform our lives isn't because somebody wrote it down on a page, but because what actually happened, happened. That the events throughout history are changed forever. That it was written to transform the life of God's people because of the transforming power of Jesus. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take you back to fourth grade. Are you ready, class? Everybody watch, watch, listen, listen. Eyes and ears, eyes and ears. Everybody on me this morning. And we're going to show you the story plot outline. You may be familiar with this. You may have seen this mountain before. And it's a way of dissecting and breaking down a story. If you were part of our mid-sized group a while back, this is going to be familiar to you. It's called the meta-narrative of Scripture. But every story has six key movements, and the same goes for the Bible. And so every story, it's got to start somewhere. It just so happens that our story starts with creation, the very beginning of time. And we open the front of our Bible, we get through the table of contents, and we finally get to the good stuff in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. We get introduced to the who, the what, the where, the when, and it opens that that there's this God that's speaking into creation, that things are happening simply because he's opening his mouth and he says, let there be light and let there be a world that is no longer formless and void, but he gives land and sea and creatures and everything under his power just comes into uh, being. It, it, It is created because he speaks. And then at the end of his creation, at the end of the six days, he actually looks at his creation and he says this in Genesis 1, Verse 31, he says, And God saw all that he made, and it was very good. You see, creation, it it hinges on this word that means, this word, Hebrew word, shalom. It's a Hebrew word. We've used it before. One could argue that this is maybe the most important word in all of Scripture. See, the Hebrew word shalom, it means peace. It means harmony. It means unity. It means perfection. That God spoke into creation, unity, perfection, not lacking anything. It's, it's kind of like a circle. That it's all there, it's complete, there's nothing lacking. That's how our story begins. But then in any story, doesn't something have, have to really kind of go wrong? Doesn't there have to be a conflict, an issue, right? The dun-dun-dun moment. So we turn the page, and we get introduced to this thing called sin. See, then everything kind of comes crashing down. You see that God's shalom actually becomes broken. You see, every story has to have a problem. It has to have a conflict that kind of throws a wrench into everything. And there has to be this this altering thing that, that kind of causes things to start to spin out of control. And the same thing goes for God's creation, the story of God's world. Everything was shalom, it was perfect, it was unified. And then Adam and Eve, the first two humans, they actually go against God's will and introduce sin. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit, uh, that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. 
And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. See, God creates the entire world. He creates all of creation, and he sets forth Adam and Eve, and he says, you get full range of everything. Just don't go to that one tree. Don't take a bite of that fruit of the tree of knowledge. Just, just don't go, go there and do that, okay? You don't want to just, just do, you can do anything else. Just don't do that. And so they get to see, and Eve does the one thing she was asked not to do and introduces sin, and it breaks that relationship, that harmony, that perfection with God is no longer there. See, this word sin means to miss the mark. It's a Hebrew word. That's, it's an archery term. Imagine if, if, you're, if you're shooting at a, at a target and arrow after arrow, you keep firing away, trying to hit the bullseye, but you never hit it. That's what sin is, is that there is an intention, there is a purpose, there is a way that it's supposed to be, but you never touch it. Maybe you're close and you're just off to the left. Maybe you're, you're just a little too high. Maybe you're way off and you're way off to the right and you completely miss it. That's what sin is. It's saying that there is an intention, there is a bullseye, but you never get to hit it. That's the conflict of this story. In every good story, something has to go wrong. Everything's fine in space and then Darth Vader shows up. Everything's good on earth and then the aliens descend and wreak havoc. Everything's good until... That car crash you weren't expecting. Everything was perfect, unified, in step with God. Until sin breaks shalom. We turn the page and we actually go through then a lot of the rest of the Old Testament for that matter. And we get a string of choices. Decision after decision, person after person, story after story, decade after decade, century after century of things going wrong. This is the point in the story called the rising action where the problem, it just gets worse. This is where the enemy seems to be winning. This is when the dark side seems to be taking over. It's the point in the story where hope begins to, to kind of dissolve. Are things ever going to get back to the way they were supposed to be? And that's what we see in the Old Testament. There's this cycle that develops. And so God is seen as a God who is loving. He is pursuing his creation. He's chasing after his people. But the one thing that we see over and over again is that even the people, even the things he puts in place, they don't quite work. They work for a time, and then they break down. People make bad choices. They repent and then God redeems. And it goes in this cycle over and over again, whether it was the law and the patriarchs, the prophets, the judges, the kings, all of that never seems to work. And it creates this cycle that sin always seems to come out on top, that even when something seems like, okay, this guy might have it, or, 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 or this situation I think is going to let us live and fix the problem of sin, it always seems to make its way back to the top. The prophet Zephaniah kind of puts it this way. It says, her officials, he's talking about Israel, the people of God, within her, the roaring lions, her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are unprincipled, they are treacherous people, her priests profane the sanctuary, and they do violence to the law. He says, your sacrifices didn't work, the law didn't quite work, the, the prophets kind of got corrupt. This is the moment where we start to step back, we get concerned. Maybe this whole sin thing is going to win. 
this, this, this conflict, this crash seems to be building. It seems to be too strong. Are we ever going to get hope again that we get to live with God the way that we were intended to live? See, if a story kind of stops here during the rising action, it's not really a good story, isn't it? Sometimes it's intentional, it's in a cliffhanger, you know, episode five of Star Wars, you know, Luke loses his hand, I am your father, Luke falls, boom, end of the movie, I got to figure out how this, this ends up. But if the movie just said end of uh, the end here, a lot of us would be concerned. We'd say, that's not a good story, that's not something I want to relate to, that's not something I want to lean into. And so that's why every story, it builds, it builds, it builds, but it finally gets to a turning point called the climax. And the story of Scripture has, indeed, a climax. The Old Testament closes, the book of of Malachi ends, and a few hundred years pass, and then the, the first page of Matthew opens, and we're introduced to this woman by the name of Mary. She came from the line of David. An angel of the Lord came to her and said that you will be a virgin, you will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. What? <laughs> but it happens. She gives birth. This little boy grows up a Jew he, uh, under the house of a carpenter, and then he, then around the age 30, decides to go off on a journey. And he rallies up some teenage boys, some fishermen, and he says, guys, I want you to to leave what you're doing and follow me. And he begins to travel across the ancient Middle East, and he goes to people, and he goes to places. He heals people. He teaches stories called parable. He breaks down walls, and he begins to say that, that God's kingdom can be inclusive for everyone. So much so that the Apostle John, he kind of drops a hint, and he says that anyone who believes in this Jesus guy shall not perish, shall not feel the effects of sin, but actually get back to the way things were supposed to be. Eternal life, shalom with God. Jesus, he lives a perfect life, claiming to be the Son of God. And at the end, he gets to the point where he's accused, he's mocked. He gets traded by his own people for a thug named Barabbas, and they said, give us Barabbas, and you go crucify Jesus. And so they take Jesus, they beat him, they mock him, they spit on him. And then they nail his hands to a cross. In the last moments of his life, he says this. This is when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It's at this point where we're kind of concerned. This Jesus guy was trending the right way. He was doing all the things. He was saying all the things. He was performing miracles. I thought he was going to be it. I thought he was going to be the one to fix this sin problem once and forever. But there he is just dying on a cross. And what they do is they take his body down. They put it in a grave and they roll this giant stone in front of it. And then three days later. The stone is rolled away and out walks the man who was crucified just days before. And he says, I did this so that I can take on the sin, the weight of the world, and start turning things around back to who God has called us to be. It's in this moment that we begin to see that hope is restored once and for all. And Jesus, his last moments, he looks at his disciples, he looks at his friends, and he says, now you go. 
Take my message, take my, what I've done, take the story about me and tell people that they too can be transformed. And all they have to do is believe in who I was and do this with the thing called the church. After the climax, there's this thing called the falling action. It's the part after the turning point. And that's where we are today. We live in a world in which we are the church. The church has a mission. The church has power. The church has a call to say that shalom with God, that the way that it was intended to be can be yours again if you have faith. That we have been transformed. The Apostle Paul when he was writing to a church to say, this is what a church looks like. This is what a church should be for. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7. He says, in him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. What Paul is saying that you as a believer, that you as a person, that you have power, you have purpose because of what happened. Because Jesus lived, died, and rose again. Every story's got to stop somewhere though, right? There's got to be a conclusion. And so we called ours the conclusion. <laughs> you see, the, the book of Revelation, it's the last part of the Bible. It's the last part of Scripture. And, and sometimes we get hesitant. I don't know. There's some funky stuff going on there. And, you know, God just wins at the end, right? It's, it's, it's so much more than that. It's so much more powerful than that. At the very end of the book of Revelation, uh, John, who's receiving this vision, he writes this. He says this in Revelation chapter 21. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This starts to sound familiar. If we think back to the very beginning of what once was, this begins to sound oddly similar. See, what John is saying is that God is going to restore things back to his original intent. But this time, it's thicker, it's stronger, it cannot be broken because of what happened, because of the work of Jesus. So what is the Bible about? What is Scripture about? It's that Scripture's storyline is about a single Savior. The unifying theme, the story arc points to one thing that happened. A Savior who lived, bled, died, rose again so that shalom can be a part of who we are. All six steps, all six of these movements of scripture, they tell a story of who God is and his desire for each and every one of us. The story of scripture is this, is that God creates a world that crashes as a result of our sin. 
that sets into motion a cycle of sinful choices, which mandates a climax of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that redeems people into new life, called the church, that concludes with God's creation restored. It's the story of Scripture. Intentional, purposeful, weaving it all together, pointing us to Jesus. So if we were to sum it up, if we were to say, well, how do I approach the Old Testament? How do I approach the New Testament? What, what is kind of, what am I looking for throughout this? We want to give it to you this way. Is that if we know how it starts and we know how it ends... We can understand that the point of the Old Testament, there's a lot of good there. There's a lot that we gleaned from it. There's some, some great people of God, men of God, women of God, who, who are spending eternity with God. But the ultimately thing that we see is that this solution hasn't been made permanent yet. And so the Old Testament is basically pointing to a need that we need a Savior who can solve this conflict once and for all. Because despite how good these ancient people were, despite the things that God did, it never quite solved the issue. The Old Testament points to a need for a Savior. Jesus comes. He's the event that happens, his resurrection. And so the New Testament is the way of saying, so as a result of what happened, this is who we are. This is what we do. And this is how we move forward. All of Scripture points us to Jesus. Before Jesus, things were broken. There was separation from God. So Jesus decided, as the Son of God, I'm going to live, die, raise again. And because of Jesus, he said, I'm going to send my spirit so that anyone who believes can have new life. Let me close with this. That before Jesus, everything changed changed from the way that it was and was supposed to be. But Jesus changes, changed everything. And because of that, Jesus changes everything. As we move into a time of response this morning, I want you to think about the idea of a story. I don't know about you, but my favorite part of a story is the climax. That, 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 that point in the movie or the book where you can tell things are just kind of building up. The thematic music is getting louder. It's getting stronger. You can tell that something good is about to happen. That every story, that is the point of it. The, the plot thickens. It gets to its highest point, and that is where it turns. And hope is restored, and things begin to be kind of like the way they were supposed to be. Think about this for a second. If there was a man who said he was the son of God, performed miracles, told some stories, was inclusive to everyone, and he did all the things he said he could do, and he did all the things that no one else had ever done, and no one could ever find any fault with the way that he lived his life, that he lived a perfect, blameless life, and then that guy said, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give up of myself. I'm going to let myself be killed so that I can take on the crash, take on the brokenness, take on the weight and shame of sin, and then show power over that three days later 
and then he actually does it. I don't know about you, but I'm all in with that guy. (laughs) I'm all in with that guy who is able to call out his own death and actually pull it off. I'm with that one guy who says that I am here so that anyone and everyone who chooses to believe that their crash doesn't have to be the defining moment of their life, but actually that they get the chance to have a climax, a turning point of their life based on my, my, my grace, my love, my mercy, my compassion for them, because that is the way God intended it to be. And he actually does all of that. I don't know about you but I'm all in. You might be here this morning and I don't know what your story is in your life. Maybe you made that decision and you looked and you saw that climax and somebody told you about that turning point and you made that decision. It's been the turning point of your life. Maybe it's been the last few weeks, months, years, decades, I don't know. But you can say without a shadow of a doubt, that thing that happened that event didn't just change history, it changed my life. Maybe you're here today and you're just trying to figure out, is God even real? Did Jesus actually live and die? Maybe you're kind of saying, I don't know, my life kind of feels like that Old Testament spot where I'm just kind of going through this cycle where I just kind of feel like I'm stuck and I make some good choices and I make some bad choices and I and I just kind of, I kind of, I don't really, I just need something to point me in the right direction. I don't know what your story is, but let me tell you this, is that your story can have a turning point. You have the greatest turning point because of Jesus that that shalom is a desire that God has for all of us. And that is why he sent his one and only son to die, to raise to life, to transform who we are. So as the band gets ready to lead us in a few songs, as we respond to the word of God this morning, we're gonna invite you to remember that, that when Jesus was doing that thing, His body was broken, his blood was spilled, and he looked at his own disciples and he said, take of my bread that represents my body. Take of this juice and drink that represents my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And so if you've said yes to Jesus as your your turning point, the climax of your life, whether you're a regular attender, you're a member, you're just visiting, we wanna invite you to, to remember that with us that the greatest moment in history was because something happened, because a man chose to die so that things could be put back into order the way that God had intended. Whenever you're ready during these songs, we invite you just to move about the room, move to one of these tables to remember that. Maybe you're sitting here today and and you've taken some of those steps. That, That turning point has been a turning point of your life. And you want to give back to God with your tithes and offerings. Say, Lord, thank you for being the climax of my story. Maybe you're sitting here saying, I want to know more. I have questions. I have thoughts. I'd love to talk with somebody. Fill out that connection card. Whether it's your offering, your connection card, I don't know, a sticker. (laughs) Drop it in that give and respond box and just say, hey, I want to respond to the good news, to the story of Scripture in this way. Would you stand and worship with us this morning? as we remember that the storyline of Scripture is about one Savior.